Welcome to the curiosity of a child. This is a particularly scary episode as it's for Halloween, so it may not be appropriate for younger listeners as we will be doing some real magic actually on the show. I'm hoping it goes okay, but we are trained practitioners, so please do not try this at home. Mm-hmm. Are you nervous, Anton? Uh, a little bit, but as you said, we're trained. We've done this many times before, just not on the podcast. No, no. So we've got our pentangle on the floor and we've got our candles lit and it's dark outside. It's nearly Halloween. Um, so remember, uh, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Just search for Curie Tripod and you'll find us. But this this could be our last ever show. Um, so please follow us and leave a review in our memories, please. Yeah. I always get a bit worried because almost every episode we say this could be our last show. I mean it this time. <laughs> Are you ready? <clears throat> we'll see. It's Halloween and the barrier between the worlds is thin. Witches patrol the night, their cackles carried on the wind. Demons lurk just beyond our vision. Clawed hands waiting to pull us down into the depths. In every corner and every shadow, danger and monstrosities await. Now is the time of otherworldly power, of magic, of luck, of fate, of charms, and of long-forgotten mysticism. Every curious, today we will harness this power, bending the forces of the occult to our will. <laughs> but to do this, we need to have a good understanding of the history of magic. We've got to uncover its secrets and learn the recipe for the perfect spell. So what do you think we're going to need to learn about Anton? What do you think we're going to need to know to perform magic? I think we might need something to protect us. Um, a wand to, to cast spells. Mm-hmm. And learning about some um, plants and herbs as well. Sounds good, yeah. Maybe some understand some of the rituals and the talismans and yeah, different things that are needed because... Magic is a very broad subject and uh, there's actually a very deep history to it. I think maybe we'll need uh, to see if we can find our luck, potentially, if we've got anything like that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's a good idea. What sort of spell do you want to cast today? Because I was thinking along the lines of maybe trying to summon something. Yeah, summoning sounds good to me. Yeah. And like you said, luck and maybe some form of protection as Mm -hmm. well, just in case what we summon goes out of control. Mm -hmm. I mean... We're going to need that when we become the gods of the world. <laughs> well, magic and religion used to be very closely linked together. That's actually the ancient Greeks who uh, started to separate them into two different disciplines. So um, shall we start right at the beginning with some of the earliest known magic and ritual and belief? Okay. Approximately 5,500 years ago, monuments such as Stonehenge were being built Before this, early man had been making marks and paintings on the walls of caves. Earlier still, some 95,000 years ago, Neanderthals carefully buried their dead. Ritual, mark-making and symbolism, places of power and worship with ancestors or deities um, all form part of early magic. The cycles and the rhythms of the natural world, the seasons, the celestial bodies, all form important pieces of magical practice. Yeah, so a lot of early magic, you could say, was around maybe the rhythms of the natural world. But the most important and powerful part of all of this, I think, is belief. If people believe, they truly think what you say is going to happen or has happened, then it will become true. It becomes the truth. 
<laughs> a bit like uh, tulpas. If you believe enough, then the actual thing does happen. Yeah, so a tulpa is a thought form where you put energy into it and it manifests itself. <laughs> so to create belief, though, or to create magic, we need rituals and we need tools and uh, we need to understand the, the symbols and the secrets that they use. So I think the first thing that we need for our spell is to know if the universe is on our side. What does the future hold? I want to know that we're actually going to be safe when we're doing this. <laughs> um, I don't know. Yeah. So uh, should we have a look at our horoscopes? Yes. Yeah. So do, do you believe in them? Um, maybe. <laughs> okay. Let's see. So let's do you first. You're a Leo. So we're going to do this live. Mm-hmm. Okay, horoscope.com. Try not to overanalyze your actions. If you continue to pick apart every aspect, you will end up getting nowhere. This principle applies to your emotions too. Be sure that you aren't trying to make rational sense out of every feeling that comes your way, okay? Feelings are there for you to experience. Allow them to flow through your heart and not necessarily your head. I think that fits perfectly with the magic theme actually mm -hmm. it's actually you've got to feel the essence of it yeah i've got to feel energy. the magic don't think about it so we shouldn't be learning about any of the history at all just get straight into it feel the magic <laughs> well i think we still need to get some of the history so oh look it's, somehow it's guessed what i am on google right horoscope <laughs> scorpio also going to horoscopes.com okay let's see what mine says we actually had a technical glitch just then as the audio cut out so this is ominous <laughs> okay so scorpio for me what you think may happen today is apt to be the opposite oh. of what actually happened, Scorpio. Oh, God. That's weird. It could be that you have a strong mental picture of how things should proceed, but end up taking a completely different action. Try to engage every part of your body, mind and spirit so they're all on the same page regardless of what activity you actually do. That sort of links to what I was just saying. Screw the history. <laughs> oh, no. Or it just means our spell is going to go totally wrong and I'm going to be sucked into some other realm or something or become I know a demon a demon or controlled by a demon I'm just going to become their little slave or this, something yeah this cannot be scripted <laughs> wow okay right with our horoscopes ready yeah let's carry on some of the earliest writings on astrology come from ancient Babylon you may be thinking how is this magic well it's what's called divination so that's the attempt to see the future or understand the future so picture the great city of Babylon sitting between the Tigris and Euphrates in modern-day Iraq. There was no light pollution, so scholars would have a perfect view of the stars and the wandering planets, and their movements and their actions would foretell what was to come. Mm. These omens were then collected and written on uniform tablets, and the most important collection being called the Anuma Anu Enlil. You've read something correctly! Oh, wow. thank you. That, this... See, it's not going to plan. You actually read something right. Yeah, fantastic. <laughs> Um, and it actually consists of 70 tablets and they contain approximately 7,000 omens which will be predicting the future. These um, astrology and astronomy were very closely linked. So here's an example. If the moon becomes visible on the first day, reliable speech, the land will be happy. If the day reaches its normal length, a reign of long days. If the moon at its appearance wears a crown, the king will reach the highest rank. What do you reckon that means? Um, magic. Yeah, magic. Yeah, definitely yeah. the truth there. Yeah. Um, in the second century, Greek scholar Claudius Ptolemy wrote two works. 
first was Almagest, which would be the definitive book on astronomy for over a millennium. And the other was Tetrabilibus, which became one of the foundational texts on astrology. And it's where we get the modern zodiac from. The use of astrology has a very mixed history, with the church often seeing it as an occult practice. But it's managed to last into today, so there must be something in it. Right, so we've done our star signs, we know a little bit of the history there of this foundational topic. We know that the universe is probably more with you than it's with me at the moment. Um, so before we go any further, I think we need some protection against any malevolent forces that wish to do harm to us, particularly me. Um, so I made you a gift. So if you look in the bit of paper in front Piece of you, of paper. Bit, okay. yeah, and I want you to put this on. I'm scared. I'm really scared. Don't be scared. It's. I can't it's open. One sec. I'm just gonna go quiet for a minute. Oh. Yeah, this is amazing. We might have to do a. We we might put this in the show notes. One sec. Okay, he's just taking off his headphones because I've given him an amulet. Thank you very much. I should be safe. It really symbolises me. <laughs> so, uh, can you describe it, please? It's just the almighty. My favourite word. The penis. Well, it's a winged penis. It's mm-hmm. a bacinus, or the divine phallus. Now, you may be wondering yeah. where you got that. <laughs> no, not really. No? I'll, I'll, I'll want to find out anyway. Okay. For, the, for the listeners. Yeah, well, Roman boys would be given one to protect them from the evil eye, or from becoming bewitched. <laughs> now, Marcus Terenitus Varro, he was one of the great scholars of ancient Rome, he noted how similar amulets would be hung around the necks of babies as well. The way that they thought they worked was that the laughter, shame and embarrassment of the phallus would deflect the power and the direction of the evil eye and would keep the wearer safe. At the time, there was a real belief that some people had the power to harm others just by looking at them. Don't look at me, please. (laughs) (laughs) And this is an idea that actually has continued into modern times. You get that in modern witchcraft as well. Mm -hmm. The word fascinate actually derives from the Latin fascinum. And what does fascinate mean? Amazed. Amaze. Yeah, it's also to be transfixed by something, like you're bewitched by it, as if you're fascinated by something. Hmm. So now that you're wearing the divine phallus, do you feel safer? Yes. I recommend that you wear it at all times. Yes, when we go to the shops later. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you might get some odd looks, maybe the evil eye, but you won't have to worry. <laughs> no. Actually, I'll probably get the evil I'll, eye. <laughs> I'll probably just be holding it and be like, stand back. Oh, wait, I put it on the wrong way. Anyway. Magic was a big part of Roman life, and their first law code, the Twelve Tablets, compiled in 451 BCE, prohibited spiriting away a neighbour's crops. I'm right, you're saying. In 331 BCE, 170 women were executed for creating magical poisons. <gasps> but you weren't always put to death. In 158 CE, for... Philosopher Apuleius of Madura, I'm very sorry, uh, was tried for using magic to seduce a rich widow. I am not sorry anymore. <laughs> I think that's a fantastic idea. <laughs> he wasn't convicted, however, thanks to his brilliant defence speech. He said his magical operations were indispensable scientific experiences as a follower of Aristotle and Hippocrates. <laughs> He's also best known for writing The Golden Ass, a novel where the hero, Lucius, accidentally turns himself into a donkey through magical means. I hope this doesn't happen with my nice uh, talisman that I'm wearing. <laughs> That's not an ass, mate. 
Yeah, I know, but still, <laughs> it would be worse. I still think we need a bit more protection, though. To perform magical spells, you often require something from the target, maybe a lock of hair, some blood or teeth. There's a lot of fake law around teeth, perhaps because um, they fall out of your body and they get replaced, um, and they're hard, aren't they? And they're, they're an odd thing to come from the body, I think, and they're a symbol of growth and change. And I happen to have some of your teeth. Yes. Which the tooth fairy didn't want. It's an odd thing that parents do. So you can see some sort of odd ritual almost continuing there, can't you? Mm-hmm. There was a belief that children's teeth should be burnt to stop them falling into the hands of a witch, which would give them complete control over you. This burning is also important to ensure safety in the afterlife. There's some stories as well about like witches or evil fairies or something taking children's teeth and there's some where they like make castles out of the teeth as well. I think the modern tooth fairy probably stems from those ideas, but it's been sanitised a bit, like lots of fairy tales mm-hmm. have to make it more child-friendly. Children's teeth, they could also be used as a protective charm. Viking warriors would often wear a string of them around their neck when they're heading into battle. So those big, burly men, mm-hmm. feeling that their child's tooth will protect them. Today we mostly hide them under pillows. But what if you do that? And someone or something that shouldn't take it does take it. You can look after your teeth. So you've got a tooth there, actually, in one of your pots that I put on the table for you. Yep. Should I pick it up? Uh, no, there's no need. Just Can have I... it ready, though. Okay? okay. Just make sure you know where it is because it could be useful for protection. Okay. Actually, um, is your safety, your life, worth the small monetary reward of maybe a pound coin that you find under the pillow? Probably not. No, so we've got a choice then, okay? We can either try burning your tooth immediately for protection. You can wear them as a protective shield, but I think you've got that covered with the phallus already. Yeah. Or we can keep them as a bargaining chip. Um, So if we do summon a demonic entity and it threatens us, we can give it your tooth and then it can become your lord and master and I can escape. Okay. I know which one you want to do. And I don't really want to burn my teeth. And it might take too long for the episode. So we'll, we'll do option three. Okay, yeah, we'll, we'll keep it just in case I need to escape. Mm-hmm. So as well as protection, we need something that will channel your powers and allow us to go on the offensive if the spell goes wrong. So we need a wand. A wand? Yes, a wand. I've got my wand. <laughs> the divine phallus does not count as a wand, unfortunately. Oh. That's a talisman to protect you. <laughs> um, <laughs> so wands, they're, they're magical instruments allowing the practitioner to harness and focus their powers, and they allow you to direct the energies of a spell. So if you picture the typical classic ones, you'll probably think of a long stick, won't you? Yes. Um, Like my divine phallus. (laughs) Yes, yeah. Um, (laughs) I've got to stop this. (laughs) uh You've become fascinated. (laughs) Um, So the wand is perfect for pointing at things or drawing symbols in the dirt as part of the spell. Mm Mm-hmm. Now, the Egyptians, they would actually use um, hippopotamus ivory carved with protective symbols as a wand. And like the divine phallus, they were commonly used to guard children against evil forces. Now, the task would be split down the middle along its length, which would create two wands out of it. And on the inner side, where it had been cut, it would be inscribed with the protective spells. And here's an example. Cut off the head of the enemy when he enters the chamber of the children whom the lady has borne. Yes, I'm not actually convinced that's magical advice. That seems more like cut the head off somebody who's going to try and take your child. Mm -hmm. 
And I've got a picture here, which I put in the show notes. That's um, a boomerang. It does look like a boomerangy. Yes, it's very curved, their tusks. Um, and what I find interesting is the carvings, they don't look like typical Egyptian hieroglyphics to me. No. A bit more like sort of cave painting sort of thing. Ah, yeah. That line instead of full. I like the chap on the left. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so we'll have that in the show notes and probably on our Twitter as well. Now, the use of wands actually continued as a Greek and Roman tradition. And you even get Jesus pictured using one in 3rd and 4th century Roman sarcophaguses. Wands became connected with more occult practices in the 13th century. They're mentioned in the Sworn Book of Honorius. This, Grimoire, is an influential and important book on magic. It reportedly contains the collected knowledge from a group of magicians wanting to concentrate their power. It contains instructions on magical operations, including how to summon spirits and demons. Perfect. Originally written in Latin, it was translated to English in 2016. Yeah, so a really recently. long time ago. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> we for you it is. Other, right? <laughs> we, we need to start talking at the same time. Sorry. I don't have a copy of this book, so we need another one, okay? But I have found a brilliant book here, fear not. I found a text written by one of today's leading occult practitioners, S. Rob. Yes. He's the author of over 600 books of magic, with a K, topics, and I downloaded this one from Amazon. Okay. S. Rob, Earth Magic of the Carrot Wand. Yeah, the Carrot Wand. I like carrots. That was one of my questions coming up. Fantastic, you've answered that one already. <laughs> You're already divining the future. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm just uh, feeling it, you know, like my horoscope. You are. A wand is more than a simple instrument of magic. To fully realise its power, you need to form a close bond with it. You need to put energy into it. You could even say that wands are panpsychic. They're inanimate objects, but they also have their own mind or soul. And this idea of panpsychism also carries across into plants in the natural world, particularly herbs, which are said to have their own powers and intents. So to get the most out of a wand, you need to give it power. I do like carrots. You do like carrots? Yeah, that's my question. Yeah. (laughs) And we planted some in the garden a few months ago. And we've since been tending to them. And we've been putting our essence and energy into their growth. And um, we went outside earlier. Well, I did. I went outside earlier and harvested one for you. Ooh. Um, So we have a carrot. Where? (laughs) And, well, you'll see it in a minute. Now, S-Rob, makes it very clear that you need to wash your carrot before using it for magic, which I've already done. Mm -hmm. And if you open up the... Bit of kitchen roll there. You'll find your carrot wand. Yay. All right, I'm very excited for this. <gasps> oh, my God. Oh, my God. It's amazing. It's, it's, it slightly matches with my divine phallus. Yeah. Is this a big carrot wand or a small carrot wand? Oh, it's quite small. It's a tiny carrot wand. So, it, yeah. I'm so happy. Thank you. Right, just put it down for the moment, please. Okay. I'm already connected to it. You are, well, we've been putting our essence into that through the growth. Um, so what are the four elements of magic? Earth, water, wind and fire. Yeah, so which one do you think the carrot embodies? Earth. Why is that? Because it comes from the earth. That's right, yeah, it comes from the ground, so it's imbued with earth magic. And this is actually a really good element because it's seen as passive. So it will simply add any power to our spells. Mm-hmm. And your star sign, Leo, that's governed by the sun. So your element would be... Fire. Yeah. 
but we also want to be able to charge your wand up with even more fire so we can multiply its potential. Mm-hmm. Now, previously mentioned that herbs have their own powers. You can look back on a long history of witchcraft and find stories of them being used to brewing spells and patients. But it wasn't all bad. Healers and wise women would have long understood the medicinal properties of these different plants. There's many modern medical compounds that have their origins in this knowledge. When I dug up the carrot, I also grabbed some herbs from the garden. So do you know the ones you've got in front of you? Okay, let's have a look. One sec. Sage? Yes. Rosemary? Yeah. Gotta smell this one. Um, I'm not sure about the last one. You've got bay. Bay, okay. Well, I thought yeah. it might have been that, potentially. This is something I read the other day. Slight side note is um, there was a plant in Roman times called Sylphian and it was the most amazing plant mm-hmm. and it got harvested into extinction so it said that Nero had the last ever piece because um, you could add it to any food and make it taste better and you could use it to cure any illness it's like the ultimate herb and um, I read an article just a couple of weeks ago how there's somebody who thinks he's actually found it again I hope he has yeah, yeah I, I I've never been so excited reading about a plant in my life because I was waiting to get to the end and say, does it taste good? Does it taste good? And it could well be, maybe not a direct relative, but it could be. Well, and it's going to be full of magical properties too, I'd imagine. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm sort of split because I hope it has been rediscovered because that's really cool. But at the same time, I hope it hasn't so that we are like confirmed as the gods of the world. <laughs> but no, no one's even close by eating that divine earth um, plant. I don't know if we're going to have the magical power to become as powerful as you are hoping here. Anyway, back to our herbs. So what can you tell me about them, please? Um, the bay protects the wearer from illness, curses, demonic possession and lightning strikes. Always useful. Mm-hmm. It's a slow growing plant and is seen as noble and it brings success. If you eat enough of it, you can enter a trance-like state Conductive to divination. Placing it under your pillow helps your dreams reveal the future. And it's also believed bay trees carry the souls of wood nymphs. Yeah, that's right. And uh, what about rosemary? Because I know it's good for memory, as um, Shakespeare wrote in Hamlet. There's rosemary. That's for remembrance. Pray you, love. Remember. Well, it's traditionally used in funeral ceremonies putting their deceased soul at ease and ensuring they will never be forgotten. Again, it was of evil. Perfect. So why have we got Rosemary and Bay? To protect us or to maybe enhance our powers as well. That's right, yes. They are linked to the fire element, Mm -hmm. which is your element. I think we should be using them to charge up your wand. So yes. do you want to put them in the pestle mortar, please, and just start mixing them up? Just the bay and the rosemary or everything? Not the others, because you don't know what magical effect that will oh, have. okay. No carrot? Flipping heck. No carrot? Not yet. No, no, no. Okay. Because the carrot, you don't want to mush the, your wand. Okay. <laughs> rosemary? Yeah. All of it? Just I'm nervous. It. I put all the bay in, but I'm leaving a bit of rosemary just in case it can, like... If it's whole, it uh, wards off the people a bit more. Many plants really do seem to have magical properties. Um, they're used for healing, easing pain and illness, and some also cause hallucinations. And a concoction of various plants may have actually been used to help witches fly. 
Right, okay, that's good. So now you've charged up your wand with the magical power of the fire herbs. Yeah. Okay, as I was saying, um, there's a concoction of herbs that was believed to help witches fly. Yeah. In 1458, a man called Abraham the Jew published an account of flying. He'd been given an ointment by a witch in Linz, Austria, and told it to spread it over his pulse points. He soon had the sensation of flying through the air to his desired destination. His senses must have, been, must have become clouded as he found himself waking on the floor beside the witch. Curious, he asked her to use the ointment whilst he watched. She did so and collapsed motionless for several hours. So what do you think? Can witches really fly or what do you think was going on there? It's a dream. It's a, like a hallucination-y thing. I've actually found a recipe for flying ointment and um, you can apply it to inanimate objects to persuade flight but if it comes in contact with your skin it's toxic or hallucinogenic. And you need one part um, aconite juice, you need deadly nightshade fruits, you need fresh moonwort fronds and then use four parts base plus water. Okay. Please don't make this recipe at home because we are trained magic practitioners. Deadly nightshade is a dangerous, toxic plant. I repeat, a dangerous, toxic plant. Do not use it. Yeah, do not use it. Um, It's heavily associated with witchcraft. And they say that the plant is actually the property of the devil. And he tends to the bushes at night. Do you know what else witches added to the ointment to help it be absorbed into skin? Um, oil. (laughs) Yeah, well, fat. Fat, okay. They would use the fat of infants. And that's why I'm wearing the magical divine phallus. That is. Um, they preferred babies who hadn't been baptised as their soul was still in limbo. <laughs> and I've got a woodcut here from a 1608 witch hunter's manual, Compendium Maleficarum. And if you have a look at it closely, you'll see a small child being roasted in the flames. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Delightful, isn't it? Uh-huh. Many tales of flying witches have them attending Sabbaths. And surely the only place to hold a sabbath is in a very powerful location and for the perfect spell we also need such a location somewhere where magic is leaking into our realm and we recently visited a known site of witchcraft in guernsey during the 1600s we are down at rockane bay at uh, le curfe dolmen which you might have remembered if you're an old listener from the first episode. There's actually a small fort near here called Fort Grey, which was um, named after the first Earl of Grey. He was the governor of Guernsey from 1797 to 1807. And his son, the second Earl of Grey, is probably what the famous T's named after. But we're actually down here because it's a old place of power, isn't it? Must be lots of magic here. And back in the 1600s, this was an important place for witches and it's a meeting place for them. And they actually met the devil himself here. In 1886, John Linwood Pitts released a book called Witchcraft and Devil Law in the Channel Islands, and he actually translated several accounts of witchcraft um, which happened on the island. The trials he recounts date from the 1600s, and many mention this very headland where the sea, the power of the Atlantic Ocean, crashes upon this shore. And let's go into one of the stories. So it's the 4th of July, 1617, and Colette de Mont, her daughter, and Isabel Bouquet, they were actually sentenced to death for witchcraft and the official court records mention that there was clear evidence that for many years the women had practiced the diabolical art of witchcraft 
by having not only cast their spells upon inanimate objects, but also having retained a languor through strange diseases and also cruelly hurt a great number of men, women and children and caused the death of many animals. This is why I don't want to go into the Dolwyn Dummy. Yeah, because I think that's where some of the rituals happened and also down at the fort that we mentioned earlier, there was an old militia fort there which is in a state of disrepair and this would be one of the two places in this headland where the witches would actually perform their dark arts. Um, but as you know, what's the only way to get confession out of a witch? Torture. Yeah, so they tortured them and then under confession, one of the witches said... She said the devil first appeared to her in the form of a cat one day when she was returning from her cattle and encouraged her to take revenge on her neighbours. Other times he appeared as a dog and said she should kill those who had angered her. Yeah, so the devil here would actually appear as dogs or hares or sometimes goats and all different animals. And uh, But how they really got their powers when he invited them to the Sabbath. And this is when they would um, visit him on dark evenings in locations such as where we are now. Um, and often when their husbands were away at sea fishing. Women would be given a black ointment by the devil, which they'd rub on their belly. Then the moment they stepped out of their house, they'd be carried through the air at great speed to Rockane. Yeah, so can you see any at the moment? Uh, thankfully not, unless the devil's in a no bird form. He could well be, but it's actually a nice sunny day at the moment, which is why we've come down now, not at the uh, middle of the night. Although it is nearly Halloween and I can actually feel the veil between the worlds kind of weakening. Can you? I'm scared. Let's um, step towards the dolmen now. Now, there could be as many as 15 witches or wizards present and many devils in the form of cats and dogs and hares and they would dance and perform other acts, so let's go inside. I don't want to. <laughs> they also ate and drank wine, which wasn't meant to be of very good quality, apparently. But there was never any salt. Yeah, it's odd. They mentioned the wine in a couple of cases, saying it was poor quality. But this actually reminds me of the eating of bread and wine, like uh, Holy Communion, so you can see it as a corruption of that ritual. Mm -hmm. The witches were given a black powder, which they'd throw over anything or anybody they wanted to cause harm to. That's right, yeah, so we're going into the dolmen now, so could you imagine no further. them all kind of dancing in here, like the flipping flames and candlelight and think of the different smells and uh, everything that was going on. I mean, it must have been quite a scary event and you could see the power coming from them. I just bumped my head on the top of the dolmen, that's how tall I am. Now, there's actually, the Royal Court record records their punishment as such. It has been ordered by the court that the said women shall be presently conducted with halters about their necks to the usual place of punishment and shall there be fastened by the executioner to a gallows and be hanged, strangled, killed and burnt until their flesh and bones are reduced to ashes and their ashes shall be scattered and all their goods, chattels and estates, if any shall exist, shall be fortified to his majesty. So you can see why this would be a good location for us to uh, find the power to make our ultimate spell this episode, eh? Mm -hmm. I'm still scared. I, I don't want to. <sighs> why is that? Do you actually feel something coming from the dolmen itself? It's just dark. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've been here before. Isn't this the one with the ferry door? Yep. If you want to hear the story about that, I think it was episode one. Yeah, one or two. Yep. Okay, so should we go back out into the sunlight now where we feel a little, little bit safer? 
Now, I find the stories of flying ointment really interesting, and there's similar stories from many countries, including here in Guernsey. I want to know how did what is seen as such a dark and dangerous practice, how did that spread so wide? And how did it get to somewhere like Guernsey? And they, they clearly flew on their broomsticks. Uh-huh. Now, after our recording, we actually had some bad luck, didn't we? And I think we may have been cursed. Yeah, because our car broke down. It did, yeah. We're driving back home and there's a sudden dunk and it stopped working. Also, a black cat came to the door, our French doors, mm. as well. Scary. Now that we've found that there's definitely a really powerful place of magic quite near us, do you want to go there and perform our spell? No. That's too scary. <laughs> okay. We're not getting even more bad luck. That's fine. So I think there's probably enough magic on this island and it's near Halloween, so I think we should be able to harness that. So um, what else do we need? So we've checked the stars, so we understand our fate. Yours is probably good, mine's really bad. Mm -hmm. um, we've got, well, you've got a protective talisman. Mm -hmm. You've got a powerful wand and our location is probably okay. So what else do we need? Uh, magical books. Yeah, magic books. It's a vital part of spellcraft. And there are some kept not very far from our current location. They are known as the Black Books. Dun, dun, dun. I actually remember hearing about these from my friends at school when I was about your age. They are dark, powerful books full of evil. One was actually used near where we recorded at the Passage Grave the other day. Mm -hmm. And not far from the Cruyffe, there's an island called Leo just off the coast. And you can actually reach there via a causeway at low tide. And on the island, there's the ruins to an old monk's priory. And the story goes that in the past, probably in the 1600s, the head monk, he was more interested in the black books than he was in the Bible. And one day he crossed over the causeway to Guernsey with a servant who was carrying the Grand Albert, which is the larger of the two black books. Mm -hmm. And uh, his servant here had distinct instructions not to open it. Uh, the prior, he actually spent the day discussing an incantation to the devil with a priest over here on Guernsey who was equally interested in the dark arts. Then as evening fell, the prior, he had to return to Liu before the tide came up. Um, but the sea was still very, very far off because it was a spring tide. Mm -hmm. And the monk, he got halfway across the causeway by the time his servant reached the start of it. And he was lagging far behind his countless heavy book. So spying an opportunity to look inside the forbidden tomb, he sat on a rock and opened it. And as he did, he felt the crackle and darkness surge into his very being and the corrupting forces disrupting his soul. His voice boomed, a demonic frenzy as the words sparked off his lips. May the sea rise and cover the land. The anger of the waves consume all those who trespass in Poseidon's domain. I demand in the name of the devil himself that the tide swallow the causeway. And with that, the waters rose. The monk called out to him to stop to read the spell backwards he was taken by the sea yeah he's not the only dark monk to visit these shores either do you remember Eustace the black monk yep. from episode 20 yeah so he was a necromancer and regarded as one of the most powerful practitioners of the dark arts make sure you listen to that episode mm -hmm. the black books are meant to be impossible to destroy there is a story of a local wizard called Mr. Saar he wanted rid of these books. Uh, he took them to the beach one low tide, dug a large hole in the sand and buried them. Happy, he wiped the sand off his hands and went home. But when he returned, sitting on his kitchen table, 
were the very books he just tried to bury, clean and dry. That's right, and they can't be destroyed by fire either. Oh There's no, <laughs> my my ability. Yeah, thinking that. Well, we we want to use these books. Um, there's another tale of a copy of them being thrown on a fire and um, watched as they burnt and the pages shriveled, only to magically reappear on the bookshelf the moment the person burned them turned around. So the only way to stop them coming back is to bury them with the owner when they die. Yeah, that's quite a common um, idea with magical books and getting rid of them. So Wait, does that mean we have to bury them with Granny? <gasps> I, I don't think witch. she's got any. Oh... <laughs> Granny's not evil, she's a good witch. Um, yeah, sorry, I kind of mixed up my words there. I was meant to say good. Yeah, easy mistake to make. Oh, I'm scared now. <laughs> so do you think we should try and uh, acquire a copy of these books? Okay. So we're going to have to go break into the museum down the road then. <laughs> All right, we're back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that didn't go very well. <laughs> so do we have enough things to begin our spell? I think so. We've got our protection. We've read our star signs. We know about the herbs. I've got my wand. Um, we've gone to the places of power. We've just read about the books. I've got my all-important divine phallus. I think we're good to go. Fantastic. So we just need a spell. Now, I was hoping to summon a little imp to help us out around the house. Maybe to look for treasure and probably edit podcast episodes as well. <laughs> But I couldn't find a spell for that, and I think it must probably smell bad. Mm. I mean, you're bad enough. <laughs> um, so instead I thought we would summon a banshee. A bit scarier. Yeah, do you know what banshees are? Scary. <laughs> <laughs> well, a banshee, they're best known from Irish folklore. But there are also stories of banshee-like entities from Normandy. And the Channel Islands, where we are, were historically part of Normandy. Now, Banshee is a woman of the fairy mound, and their appearance heralds the death of a family member. You'll first be made aware of their presence when you hear a frightening screaming and wailing sound. Now, my plan is we summon one, and then we bind it under our control, and we use it as an early warning system. So if it screams, we know we're in danger. Okay. Does that sound good? Yeah, I'm, I'm terrified now. Okay, now, if everything goes wrong... They're usually pretty small, so I thought we can probably overpower it. And, and put it in a jar. Wand. And oh, put it in my a jar. wand, okay. Yeah, yeah, put it in a jar as well, that's brilliant. Yeah. So we've got our pentangle on the floor already, and the candles um, all lit around it. Now, I hope that this doesn't go wrong, though, because I don't want this to be the last time that you ever hear us. If it is, please leave a review in our memories, <laughs> and thank you very much for listening. And if it isn't, do it anyway. Exactly, yeah, follow us on... Twitter and everywhere as well. And tell all your friends. <laughs> or we'll put a spell on you. <laughs> okay, okay. So is this is where this podcast has turned to. It is, yeah. It's the only way we're going to make headlines. It is. I love making headlines. <laughs> Won't be the first time. Anyway, are you nervous? Yes. Scared? Yes. Perfect. Now let's begin then. Now remember, please do not try this at home. So, Anton, can you light the candle? I can try. All right, I've lit it. Great work. <laughs> okay, so you want to begin by burning some sage. Okay. Am I doing that? Yeah, we're doing magic. Of course you're doing it. Where now, do I... How do I do it? Just chuck it in the candle. Chuck it... Just throw it in the candle. Literally just... Yeah, try I not to put the flame in? out, though. 
Now, sage, it's known to expel negative energies and malevolent spirits, as well as clearing the mind to aid focus. That's the perfect way to start. Is the candle still lit? Just about. Okay, fantastic. Now I'm smoking. I <laughs> Sounds nice. Now, I want you to make a circle of salt on the floor. Okay. This is our ritual space. The salt will form a protective barrier holding the banshee in place. Okay. Next, sprinkle some cinnamon, which you should have on the table in front of you, mm-hmm. into the flame. Now, cinnamon speeds up spells, particularly those using the fire element. So it should turbocharge your wand. Take a little spark a bit as well. There we go. Beautiful. Real magic happening there. That's fantastic. That was. It was amazing. When I thought it speeds up the spells with the fire, I thought it's just going to like set everything on fire. Anyway. <laughs> so what we're performing here is ritual magic. Now, this really gained momentum during the Renaissance when Arabic books and magic were translated into Latin. They mixed elaborate diagrams, mathematics, alchemy, astrology into complex ceremonies and rituals. In the 16th century, the occultist Simon Foreman had a copy of one such book called the Picatrix, which can now be found in the British Library. He used its powers for many purposes, including helping a patient who was thrust with a rapier into his privy parts. Clearly didn't have a divine phallus. No. Maybe a divided phallus. Oh, yes. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, uh, I don't know if it's from this book as well, but uh, Simon Foreman, he also had a recipe for making pigeon slippers. A pigeon was slit and applied onto the sole of each foot. Not quite sure what that cured, but something. I mean, it definitely didn't cure embarrassment. No, or... It looks stupid. <laughs> or the pigeon. <laughs> he also cured a man possessed by a spirit that always caused him to shout, Kiss mine ass! to passerbys. Now, another tool that would be commonly used were Jupiter squares. And I've got one here from 1651 and it's a 4x4 grid of numbers which in any direction add up to 34. Now I don't actually know how to use them but what harm could it do? So maybe we should just say a couple of the numbers out loud. Okay, just any of those. Yeah. 16, 6, 12, 10! Beautiful. Can you feel the tension and the power really rising in the room now? Yes. Fantastic. Okay, so I've got our spell ready here, and it's from a a powerful occult work called How to Protect Yourself from Black Magic and Send Curses Back to the Sender Tenfold. Definitely not a clickbait title, that one. (laughs) You need to start by opening a doorway through which the Banshee can enter. We will then ask the Banshee to release our pain and send it back to those who magically attack us and wish us ill. So you ready? I will start the thing. Have your wand ready, please. Yeah. Okay, so you need to be putting your power into the pentangle on the floor. Okay. Okay, maybe dip it in the flame for a second to charge up from the cinnamon. Dip it back into the herbs. Are you ready? Yeah. Okay, I can smell it all coming into me now. This is fantastic. Papa Legba, I ask that you open the gateway to the Banshee. I know that you have this power, and I will ask this from you. Papa Legba. You have great power and the ability to shift between the worlds, and I ask that you, in your great power, open up a portal to the other world so that the Banshee can walk through. Now let the gates of the worlds open up here and now. Do this for me, Papa Legba. Open the gates. Open the gateway here and now. The gateway opens. Banshee, come through to this world. Come through here so we may talk. 
The Banshee comes through the gates. Banshee, Banshee. powerful, powerful one. one. You, you are the are one who can bring, bring destruction. destruction. Come, Come here, here, but spare, but spare us. us. Banshee, Banshee protects us from the curses of all attacking magic, magic, whether from, from human or magical being, being, and send all attacks back, back with ten times the power and, and ferocity. The Banshee agrees and goes back to the gates. Papa Legba, I asked Anton, Anton, I only downloaded the free Kindle sample of the book, and the spell was cut short. The gate is still open.